ISU's new interim athletics director does not want to be just a placeholder. That's one of the things you need to know to start your day. I'm Ryan Denham. And I'm Ben. Today is Tuesday, May 2nd, and this is WGLT's The Lead Off. Support for WGLT and WGLT.org comes from the Central Illinois Regional Airport in Bloomington with four airlines for business and leisure travel. Flying Sierra offers a nearby location for departures and arrivals that includes free parking. More information at CIRA.com. Now let's lead off with the first comments from ISU's new interim athletics director, Jerry Beggs. Her first day on the job was yesterday. Beggs says she'll borrow from her experience working as a consultant who does strategic planning. So I plan to go in and listen. I'm going to collect data. I'm going to I'm going to listen to coaches and staff and students and donors and fans and boosters. And I'm going to help them plan and organize for the future. Um, Set the table essentially for the next athletic director. That won't be Beggs herself. She's not interested in the permanent job. She'd actually already put in her paperwork to retire as a longtime marketing professor at ISU when she was asked to temporarily lead athletics. And that will require some hiring. ISU has seen a lot of staff resignations and retirements in athletics in recent years. We're very lean right now. Uh, when you look at the organizational chart, there are quite a few positions open uh, in, in the athletics department, and so some of those will need to be filled sooner rather than later. Beg says she expects to play a role in fundraising, too. She says donor relations are important and that modern college athletics departments do need to spend money to make money. As for her comfort level? What I think is important is that we do what makes sense for Illinois State with our mindsets and our stewardship values uh, in terms of how we spend our money. Beggs is no stranger to ISU athletics. She spent the past 14 years as the faculty athletics representative here. She's currently a member of the NCAA Division I board. ISU says a national search for a permanent AD is expected to begin in the fall. Here's some other stories we're following in the WGLT newsroom. Four new and one returning Bloomington City Council members were sworn in last night. They are Jenna Kearns, Donna Bolin, John Dannenberger, Cody Hendricks, and Kent Lee. McLean County's treasurer says property tax bills are now out in the mail, with the first installment due June 5th. The county's overall tax base jumped $278 million for 2023. And the City of Bloomington's Public Works Department is launching three new email and text subscriptions to keep the public informed about road work, solid waste, and snow. You can find more on these stories at WGLT.org. Bloomington-based Heartland Bank and Trust has steady growth in recent decades and just took over Town and Country Bank. That brings Heartland Bank's total assets to more than $5 billion. Jay Lance Carter will take over later this month as CEO from longtime bank head Fred Drake. In this interview with WGLT's Charlie Schlenker, Carter says he does not foresee a change in direction at the institution. I think it's more of the same. I mean, we're still a true community bank, and one of the, the big things we want to focus on is being involved in, in our communities and serving the customers that are there. So, I mean, we're still interested in organic growth in the markets that we're in, uh, and we're also still interested in acquisitions if the right opportunities come about. So I could see just more of the same, the, the continuing sort of steady growth over the next several years. What kind of acquisition would be a good fit uh, geographically and as to its business lines? 
a community bank uh, that has great core deposits, has good loan activity. Uh, geographically, I mean, I think the state of Illinois and the footprints that we're in, which, you know, really run now from Metro East and St. Louis through Central Illinois uh, up to Chicago. Uh, we have a presence in Iowa as well. Uh, you know, we could go into southern Wisconsin, northwest Indiana, but uh, generally Midwestern and, and near, uh, you know, four or five hour drive from Bloomington is probably the circle we're looking in. And kinds of loans, kinds of business. So we do, you know, full service. We're a full service community bank. So we focus on small business loans, commercial real estate, agriculture, agribusiness is big for us, uh, consumer, uh, home lending, have a very nice mortgage operation. So really just kind of runs the gamut of typical loans that you would see in the communities that we're in. So you wouldn't be looking to, to do something outside of that box? No, not really. Uh, not, not what we're looking at today. Continuing more of the same. I mean, we could do something in equipment finance or leasing if an opportunity came up about, but again, really focused on, you know, gathering deposits and making loans in the communities that we're in. So at $5 billion in in assets after the uh, town and country acquisition, you're on the high end of community bank sizes and on the low end of mid-sized regional bank sizes. What, uh, what's a good fit? Yeah, I mean, I think that still uh, banks in that under $10 billion category, which is where we kind of draw the line from community banks, over 10 uh, uh, changes a lot of things from a regulatory standpoint and some other other issues. So we're we're happy continuing sort of steady growth, and we think, you know, growing over the next five, five to 10 years in that range is where we want to be. So you wouldn't seek to go beyond 10? We're not looking to do that today, but you never say never. You'll have to wait and see how things go. But uh, growth and asset size has never been one of our goals. It's really been to you know serve our customers, serve our communities, make a nice profit for our shareholders, and really focused on you know having a strong core bank. The growth is sort of the result of that, not really the goal. You know, community banking is always going to be there. We've talked about the consolidation going on in the industry. Um, but we need to realize that uh, the big banks are not the banks that are making the loans in our communities. I mean, we're very proud of the fact that when uh, when COVID happened, we made nearly $300 million in PPP loans to small businesses and small depositors in, in our communities. Uh, and a lot of times we were making loans to customers of large banks that weren't able to deliver that. And so I think the community banks need to be here and, need, and, and will survive. There'll probably be fewer banks uh, in five years than there are today, but I don't think we'll turn into Canada that has six banks. This is Sound Ideas. I'm Charlie Schlenker. We're talking with Lance Carter, the new CEO of Heartland Bank. How is the run-up in interest rates promulgated by the Fed to bring inflation under control complicating that community bank business? Yeah, it's made it difficult for a lot of people. It's really starting to put some pressure on interest rate margins. It's hurt uh, securities portfolios where banks were buying what are you know very secure from a credit standpoint securities, but the interest rates have pushed those values down. So some banks got stuck buying too long a dated securities. Uh, we monitor that uh, here uh, closely and uh, um, feel very good about our securities portfolio, but it's made it more difficult. Also, it's hurt the mortgage business has slowed down substantially. With substantially higher mortgage rates, there's no refinances going on today, and it has slowed purchase activity. What does that mean in terms of percentage of business uh, that's not happening right now? Yeah, percentage of business is really difficult difficult to tell. But from a from a home loan standpoint, we're down considerably from where we were in 20 and 21 when there was a lot of refinances going when mortgage rates hit record lows. So you know we're doing maybe 20 percent or less of the mortgage loan volume that we were doing then. 
How long do you think that'll persist? You know, I think that we're starting to see that come back. You get seasonal increases now that we're into spring. Uh, people sort of adjust and realize that rates are sort of higher and may stay there for longer. And people who put off purchases are now starting to make that activity. So I think you'll see mortgage uh, growth happening from this point forward. I think maybe we've hit the bottom. Uh, but, you know, we won't get back to the numbers that we had in 20 and 21 for several years, given how low those rates were. As we've seen with projects in Uptown Normal that the town of Normal would like to have happen, some of the the commercial lending and and development construction is also slowing down. Have you seen that? Yeah, we have throughout our footprint. We've had customers who have um, decided to postpone projects or or abandon projects. When I say abandon, they just aren't doing them, decided not to do them because of the cost, both cost of, of building has gone up substantially and the interest rates make those projects no longer economically feasible. Now, as rates sort of stabilize, and maybe we get inflation to slow a little, rent rates you know, go up a little bit, we can see that pick up. But we have seen slowdown across the footprint in, in commercial projects as well. With the Fed policy of raising interest rates to curtail inflation and with some uncertainty about the banking sector caused by Silicon Valley Bank and, and another one, you're still getting varied opinions about the likelihood of the recession. How are you handicapping that question? Yeah, I mean, we think that a mild recession is probably likely. We don't believe there's going to be a deep recession. When you look around and you see unemployment rates at record lows, uh, you see uh, job openings, you know, double uh, those unemployed. It's hard to see right now there's going to be a real deep recession. At some point, you might yourself become a target for acquisition. How would you approach that question? Um, you always have to you know, listen if somebody's going to make an offer, but we're, we're not for sale today, not something that we're looking to do. Uh, we believe that we've earned the right to be independent through our performance, and, and uh, it'd be difficult for someone to acquire us uh, given our performance relative to uh, some of the banks that might be trying to acquire us today. It would always be something from a shareholder and a fiduciary standpoint that you'd have to look at and listen to. Fred Drake had the helm a long time. How will you put your stamp on this organization? Well, I think really for me, it's just more of the same. Uh, I've worked uh, for the Drake family for 22 years now. Uh, learned a lot from them and from banking, learned a lot from Pat Bush, our, our former bank president and vice chairman. Fred and Pat are still very involved in the bank and will be for a while. And I'm not looking to make any substantial changes to just really continue what they've done, uh, continue to grow the bank and, and serve the communities that we're in. What issues in banking keep you up at night? You have the tech issues. You have cybersecurity that's out there that's continually changing. We do. A, we have a great team there, but it's one thing that keeps you up, up at night is thinking through, are we doing everything that we need to do on the cybersecurity side uh, as an industry, uh, in, all, in all industries, really? So that, that's one big concern. I think the interest rate environment that we're in right now and the volatility that we're in is always a, a concern and just trying to make, make sure that we're staying on top of those risks. And then as we continue to go with just technology in general and how people do business in the financial industry, it's so much different than it was, you know, when I got into banking, just being able to do everything you need to from your phone has changed things. That was part of the reason that Silicon Valley failed so fast. Uh, they may have failed, but it would have been a lot longer if everybody couldn't transfer their money with two clicks on their phone. And that brings up another technology issue. In 2009, there were about 85,500 bank branches in the U.S., and as of the end of last year, the number had shrunk to 72,500. That is a pretty steep decline. Is that going to continue, or will that level out at some point? Uh, I think it continues for the next uh, several years, but at some point it levels out. I mean, you're going to need to have facilities. What we've found is that we have far fewer transactions in all of our banks. It's a continued trend. COVID accelerated that trend, and the numbers have bounced back a little bit as uh, the last uh, six months or so. 
but still far fewer transactions. But customers still appreciate having a branch that's within an easy drive. They might not go there every week, but they still like to go there sometimes. So I think you'll always need bank branches, but that trend probably continues at least for the next five to 10 years. So is it a more pronounced uh, trend for larger banks than for community banks or vice versa? You know, I think it's really kind of across the board. It depends on what you've done. So with a lot of consolidation, you've seen with the larger banks that have done large consolidation, there's a lot of overlapping banks. So you've seen that kind of go through. Um, If there's more consolidation in the industry, it probably accelerates as there's more overlap banks. Um, If there's less consolidation, it might slow a little. But I don't see that you're seeing it substantially different from banks our size or banks, you know, the, the next step up. Really, guys, I would think that you would need more footprints on the ground because you're serving a community clientele in individual people, small business lenders who are still more used to to doing things in person. Yeah, I don't know if it's a bank size thing as much as a bank location thing. So I think obviously in Chicago, you can serve a lot more people with a lot fewer branches just because of the density, where in El Paso or Carlock or Lexington or some of the communities around here, you know, we have a branch there. We don't probably need two, but we're always going to need one. Are there other tech trends you're paying attention to? We pay attention to things that are going on. Obviously, the cryptocurrency was a big thing, nothing that we ever were involved in or got involved in, nothing that we thought ever made sense from a banking standpoint. But you're always paying attention to what's going out there and what's the latest thing. But you can also spend all your time looking at the latest technologies and forget to focus on what makes, makes you right. So we're staying abreast of those technologies, but we're probably never a first adopter. We're probably a, a follower on those technologies when they've become more proven. The rise in interest rates and any potential recession would have a disproportionate effect on underserved communities and moderate to low-income people. They will find it more difficult to get access to credit because they're viewed, rightly or wrongly, as having a higher risk. Is that something you pay attention to and try to counter? Uh, Yeah, it is. We continue to look for opportunities to reach those underserved communities, whether it's geographic or or ethnic, Um, but we continue to look for those opportunities. We have, uh, we just hired a new lender in one of our markets that's focused completely on on, uh, making loans in uh, majority-minority census tracts and uh, low-income areas, Um, and we have a couple other lenders that are focused on that 100%. So it's definitely something that we think we need to do. We need to serve our entire community and make opportunities that everybody can be successful. That's Lance Carter the incoming CEO of Heartland Bank and Trust. He spoke with WGLT's Charlie Schlenker. You can hear the rest of their conversation tonight at 5 on WGLT's news magazine, Sound Ideas. Before we let you go, there's a public hearing tonight just after 7 o'clock at the Government Center. That's about a proposed update to McLean County Government Zoning Code related to carbon dioxide sequestration drilling. And that's it for today. I'm your co-host, Ben, from Parkside Elementary School in Normal. You can subscribe to the Lead Off podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, or the NPR app.